Grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. As you are turning to Mark chapter 1, I'd like to remind you, we've talked a lot about this, but this Wednesday is a very big night here at First Christian Church. Our Wednesday evening Families at First program returns for the fall, and we will have a meal served at 5.30. FCC's Got Talent will take place right here at 6.30. I didn't bring a, a copy of the K with me, but I think we have 10 different individuals or groups, including the choir, that are going to bless us with special music. And I think probably the best part of the evening is that we'll be taking up an offering to help the COPE Mission Ministry, sponsored by Barb O'Donohue and several ladies from our church, work with COPE, uh, Susan Klein, Leslie Gavush, Becky Glenn. It's a wonderful, wonderful organization, and uh, we're going to have a chance to bless them with a special offering. So I hope you'll come out. If you've never been to Wednesday night at First Christian, this will be our fourth year that we're starting the Families at First program up again. I would love to have you come out and check out uh, FCC's Got Talent 630 right here. want to remind you that each week as we go through the NT75, 75 days through the New Testament, you're going to get a couple things in your bulletin. One is going to be your sermon outline, which we give you every week, but also we're going to give you some fast facts and kind of overview of what you've been reading. This week we read through the book of Mark and the, the first half of the book of Luke. So we're giving you information about the book of Mark and about the, the book of Luke. And next week we'll be reading through Luke and we'll be diving into the, the book of John as well. Last announcement that I want to make this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever attended the men's retreat at Little Galilee? Any men here been a part of the men's retreat? It is a wonderful weekend. It's coming up in about a month. Four different preachers from the area, uh, including myself, are going to share a session. I'm going to be there for the weekend. I'd like to invite the men of FCC to join me. The cost is just $30, and our church will pay half of that cost if you want to go and be a part of the men's retreat. If you need more information, we've got posters up, and we can get you pointed in the right direction. As I said, NT75 is off and running. Today is day 14. And I hope that you're taking advantage of the resources that are out there as we read through the New Testament together this fall. Uh, check out the blog, uh, plug into our New Testament survey class that meets most Sunday mornings at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall. And when we get going with Wednesdays, we'll also be studying the reading for that week. I read an interesting story about prayer and I want to just read it for you this morning. It comes from the Christian Atheist. Many of you read through this book. It's on page 75. It says, A pastor once asked his church to pray that God would shut down the neighborhood bar. The whole church gathered for an evening prayer meeting, pleading with God to rid the neighborhood of the evils of this bar. Well, a few weeks later, lightning struck the bar... And it burned to the ground. Well, having heard about the church's prayer crusade, the bar owner promptly sued the church. When the court date finally arrived, the bar owner passionately argued that God struck his bar with lightning because the church members prayed. Their prayers were heard. The pastor began to backtrack, brushing off such accusations. He admitted that the church had prayed, but he also affirmed that no one in the congregation really expected anything to happen. So the judge leaned back in his chair, a mix of amusement 
and perplexity on his face, finally he spoke, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Right here in front of me is a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who doesn't. And so we begin this morning with a simple question for you. Do you believe in prayer? We pray a lot at First Christian Church. My guess is many of you pray a lot in your homes. My guess is almost everybody here, if you have kids or grandkids, when it comes time to eat breakfast or lunch or supper or whatever it may be, you bow your heads in prayer. Have you noticed our bulletin? The back of our bulletin, look at all of these people that are requesting prayer. Some of you are here today, and yet I ask a question we must answer this morning. Do you believe in prayer? Do we believe in prayer? Or, like the pastor mentioned in this book, do we do it but not really expect that anything's going to happen. There's a passage of Scripture that those of us reading through the New Testament read on Monday, and it's in Mark chapter 1. And Mark chapter 1 is a really cool chapter because there's a lot of healings going on. Uh, They're driving out, Jesus is driving out demons. Great things are happening in Jesus' name. But maybe the five most important verses in Mark chapter 1, most of us probably just skimmed right through. Didn't even connect with it. Didn't even mark it in our Bible. Just kept on reading. Let me read that passage of Scripture for you today. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 35. It it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the chance to study this uh, seemingly obscure passage of Scripture. And may the truth of these five verses change our walk with you forever. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to do two things this morning. I want to expose what I think is the truth of Mark chapter 1. And then I want us together to try to learn some modern day lessons about prayer. And then we can all head to the Apple and Pork Festival for some uh, pulled pork or pork cutlet or whatever it may be that you want. Let's start with the truth of the text. Four things I want you to see this morning. Number one is this. See that prayer was a major priority in the ministry of Jesus. Prayer was a major priority in the ministry of Jesus. Of Jesus. Mark only records Jesus praying three times in his gospel. The other gospels re- record it more often. But all three times involve serious solitude, um, getting away from everything that, that he is facing in order to focus on the task at hand. We have this account here 
in Mark chapter 1. Mark also records um, right after the feeding of the 5,000, that great miracle. It was really more than a feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men, that doesn't count the women and children. Probably something like twelve to 15,000 people were fed that day. And then the third time that Mark records Jesus praying is just before he's arrested in the garden. But all four gospel writers give us a picture of Jesus having incredible priority for prayer in his life. Yesterday's reading in Luke chapter 6 verse 12, how many of you caught what happened in Luke 6 12? Anyone? Jesus prayed how long? All night long. Jesus made prayer a priority. Now what's interesting is if you went to our library and Shirley Fields showed you where the commentary section were and you started diving in, you would find commentaries that would say these five verses of scripture deal with preaching. It's a text on preaching. There are other commentaries that would say, no, that's not the case. It's a text on prayer. I don't think you can separate the two. I think both are right. And the reason that Jesus places such a priority on prayer is because it's so connected with ministry, with the healings, with the casting out of the demons, with the the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. Prayer was a major priority in the ministry of Jesus. Truth number two, and this is almost kind of comical, Peter and the others, now he's known as Simon here, but this is Peter that we're talking about, Peter did not see the value of or the need for prayer. Have you ever been looking for someone? You're ready to go do something, you're trying to find somebody, you can't find them, you're searching, you finally find them. What do you normally say? Well, the nice people in our crowd say, okay, honey, come on, it's time to go. People like me, where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you. And that's what Peter says to Jesus here in Mark chapter 1. He said, what are you doing up here on the mountainside? What are you doing all off by yourself? We've got miracles to do. We've got healings to perform. We've got sermons to preach. Peter doesn't see the value of or the need for prayer. He doesn't have time for this solitude thing. It's time to go do something in the name of the Lord. Did you ever have a parent? That would tell you growing up, well, all of you had a parent, but did you have a parent that would say to you growing up, don't just sit there, what was it? Do something, right? I think maybe what Jesus might be trying to model for Peter and the others is, don't just do something. Sit there. Be quiet. Pray. Focus. Realize that this is how I'm able to go and to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. Peter sees no value at all, any need at all to pray. Truth number three is is really a a neat truth in many ways because I wouldn't react like this, but Jesus knew Peter's potential and he showed patience. So let me just give you this picture in case you're not following along. <coughs> Jesus is all alone in solitude, praying to the Lord for power and strength. You may say, did Jesus need to do that? He's doing it. He's, doing, he's taking time for it. 
He is interrupted. Can you imagine interrupting Jesus as he's praying? He's interrupted by Peter. And Peter's not saying uh, very politely, Master, it might be time to go on. He's rebuking Jesus for being so caught up in solitude, so caught up in prayer. If I'm Jesus, I'm blasting away right here. I'm going to have some holy wrath being poured out on Peter and the other disciples. I might throw out something along the lines of, how dare you? I might be throwing something out along the lines of, if you calm down a little bit, you might not be the, the roller coaster that you are. I'm pretty sure if I was Jesus, a rebuke would be coming. Go back to your text for a minute. What's, what's Jesus say to Peter? Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. That doesn't sound like a rebuke to me. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a mentor loving his protege. That sounds like someone that realizes this is important. Realizes he's young, he's foolish, but he's got potential. And I really believe, obviously, walking with Jesus for three years, Peter, James, John, the others, had just incredible opportunities to grow. But it's this type of a spirit, this type of a relationship, this type of love, this type of patience that helped shape Peter in a whole variety of ways, but especially when it comes to prayer. And so part four of our our text this morning, we can't really even find in Mark chapter 1. Here's part four. Peter eventually develops a heart for prayer. We can't find it in Mark chapter 1. We can't really even find it in the Gospels. If you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read all the way through, some of you are doing it, you would have a hard time affirming that statement that's on the screen this morning, that Peter develops a heart for prayer. But there's this book called the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see a different kind of Simon Peter. We see a person that after Jesus died on the cross and rose again and ascended into heaven, we see a Simon Peter that understands it's go time. A Simon Peter that understands Jesus is not with us physically on the earth right now, it's time for some of us to step up. And let me just put some scriptures up on the screen for you this morning and look at this spiritual development within Peter's life. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are about to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Judas Iscariot took his own life, tragedy in just so many different ways. And it's time to, to find the replacement. And it's Simon Peter Peter leading the charge, and they spend time in prayer saying, God, reveal who number 12 is supposed to be. That's Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, we see that description. Acts 2.42 is maybe the best inside look of what the New Testament church looks like. They devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. I don't think I got it in that order. Apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Think of what we do. 
Think of what we're about. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship. I'm not saying a fellowship dinner, but the fellowship. One another, growing with one another. The breaking of bread, communion, and prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is in the midst of just some throwdown sermons. He's going before the Sanhedrin. He is bold in their name, and he is praying for boldness to preach the word, and he gets the boldness, and he boldly proclaims the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, we see that prayer is a major priority in Peter's ministry. This is what many of you would call the deacon's passage. You may say, what's the deacon's passage? There was a ministry need that was being neglected in Acts chapter 6. The disciples, the apostles, they couldn't keep up. And so they say, we need to raise up some godly men from within us to care for these widows that are being neglected, this important ministry need. And it's Peter and the others that spend time in prayer, asking for the Lord's wisdom on who should lead this ministry. What about Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes up on a roof to pray all alone. Does that sound like another passage of Scripture that we've studied this morning? That's, that's Jesus in Mark chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 10, when Peter's on the rooftop praying in solitude, God gives him a, a, an incredible vision, a vision of all visions, that the gospel is available to everyone. That's where he sees all the different animals, and, and, and the message says, get up, kill, and eat. Peter says, I can't eat these animals. They're unclean animals. I know my Old Testament. I know the Hebrew Scriptures. And right there, God says, Peter, don't you get it? The good news of the gospel, it's for everyone. It's for Jew and Gentile. So get out there and make a difference. And then I think my favorite scripture of all that, that's on the screen right now, in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read it for you exactly. Verse 7, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, this is Peter writing, be self-controlled so you can pray. Not so you can preach. Not so you can heal. Not so you can do great things and people will say, wow, look at you. He says, be self-controlled. Have a clear mind. Be focused so you can pray. Peter eventually gets it. He eventually gets it. So what's this passage of Scripture have to do with us on Apple and Pork Weekend 2011? I'm glad you asked. Four little tidbits I want to throw with you today. And, and I want it to be more than just four little tidbits. I want it to be more than just some words that you write down on an outline. Lessons that we can, lessons that we need to put into practice in our lives today. Lesson one is this. Jesus sought solitude to find God's will for his life and for his ministry. And if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is getting up early and seeking solitude in prayer, if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is praying all night long, what do we need to do? Jesus sought solitude. We must do likewise. We must seek solitude. For many of us, we throw out words like the will of God for my life. 
And when you're a high school student, that seems pretty relevant. You're trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life, college, career, whatever it may be. But do you realize whether you're 17 or 47 or 77, God has a plan for your life. Today, tomorrow, this year, next year. And most Christ followers in America in 2011, I'm afraid, don't even consider what's God's will for my life. We don't even go down that road. We're doing life. We're in the routine. We're having fun. And that's enough. And so lesson number one is, challenge you to find solitude to help uncover God's will for your life. Lesson number two is one that I'll just be honest with you, I still struggle with today. I stand before you as your preacher, and I'm not good at this. And here's what it is. Prayer is more about listening and seeking than about asking and talking. It's about being quiet and seeking God's will. It's not about eloquent phrases. It's not about a lot of talking. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the fewer the words, the better the prayer. To have prayed well is to have studied well. Can I remind you of that great verse in Psalms? God speaks in a still, small voice. And if you find yourself this morning kind of stuck in the mud spiritually, if you looked at the sermon outline, you thought, another message on prayer. Maybe you need to stop asking and talking and start listening and seeking. When's the last time for one hour you shut out everything in the world I said, God, reveal your will for my life to me today. Maybe you got to go on a walk. Maybe you get on your bike. Maybe you go in your bedroom and you lock the door. Whatever it may be, you take God's word with you. And you say, God, what do you have for me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Number three, ministry apart from prayer is not the method that's used by Jesus. But I would say this, I think it is the method that many 2011 Christ followers use. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but a group of people from our church, kind of spearheaded by Becky Glenn, have started um, offering you an opportunity every Sunday morning from 1030 to 11 to go to my old office, Ken's old office, conference room right now and, and, and to pray just a simple invitation 10 30 to 11 to pray and my guess is a lot of us including myself we've seen it on the screen we've seen it in the bulletin we've seen it on the k and we've yet to make it to the room to pray I, i'm guilty Gu guilty as charged this morning 
But understand, when you see Jesus, you don't see a compartmentalized Jesus where today's going to be healing day and today's going to be preaching day. And when I get around to it, that's going to be the praying day. That's not how Jesus did things. Jesus got up, he prayed in solitude, he got interrupted by his disciples, and he said, okay, let's go make a difference. It was all a part of what he did. And if you drive to work every day, say 20, 25, 30 miles, you've got a great opportunity to, to just pray every day. God, use me. God, here I am. Shape me. God, what are you calling me to be? I had a great picture sent to me on Facebook last night by Cindy Taylor. I don't know if she's here or not. It was just a salt shaker and a light bulb. And, and that's just been kind of burned in my mind. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We throw that out all the time. I love that image. How awesome would it be when you get ready to go to work at State Farm or you get ready to go to work at Caterpillar or ADM or wherever you work, just in your mind, because you've been praying. Because you've been thinking about the day that's ahead of you. Just to see a salt shaker and a light bulb. Just think salt and light. And when your boss comes in and starts ranting and raving, you're salt and light. And when you're a teacher and you've got to give 15 DFs and you're frustrated, you're pulling your hair out, you're salt and light. Or when you're at the factory and, and, a, and a decision comes down that you don't agree with and you're frustrated and you're ready to blast somebody, you're salt, you're light. Because you didn't listen to the radio. You didn't listen to the sports show. You prayed, God, here I am. Use me. Ministry apart from prayer was not the method that was used by Jesus. And then number four and finally, I hope you see this. Mentoring is essential in prayer life development. I read a book a decade ago. Uh, I read it. I, I'm not a great reader, by the way. When we were doing the 90 days through the Bible, I mean, I struggled. I did it. I've done it a couple times. That, that's a struggle to read that much. I'm, I'm just, I'm too, uh, I'm too spasmastic, too, uh, too distracted in so many ways. You know, I'm like Ernie, only not quite that bad. But I mean, I, I'm in that neighborhood in many ways, okay? I bought a book at Sam's Club probably 11, 12 years ago called Tuesdays with Maury. Some of you have read it, and yes, I know there's bad words in there. Save the email. You don't need to send me the note. I know that. But here's what I want to tell you. That book changed my understanding of mentoring forever. Tuesdays with Maury by a member of the media from Detroit, Mitch Albin. I think for the first time, I really began to, to discover what that looks like. It's not just let's drink a coffee, cup of coffee for 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes a week and feel good about that. It's helping somebody understand life. It's helping somebody understand what matters most. And so I'm asking you today, who, who are you learning from? Who's helping you grow? We had a couple pews of the next generation of Christian leaders right over here. Are we helping them grow? Are we helping them develop? Are we helping them understand that prayer is more than just a request list. It's more than just, God, help my dad keep his job. And God, help, help my aunt, you know, overcome cancer. And God, uh, help good things to happen to my family. It's more than that. It's, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? E. Stanley Jones, preacher, writes these words. He says, prayer, catch this, is surrender. 
It's surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw a boat hook from my boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Then he writes, prayer is not pulling God into my will. Prayer is the aligning of my will to the will of God. And so my bottom line for you today is this. It's really simple. Prayer makes all the difference in the world. But I hope you understand. I hope you get the picture. It's more than the back of your bulletin. Am I saying we shouldn't pray for sick people? Not at all. Am I saying God doesn't heal? Not at all. I absolutely believe that he does. Some of you are living testimonies of that. But if that's your only picture of prayer, you've got a non-Jesus picture of prayer. And I want to reiterate what I said one more time. Whether you're 17 or 47 or 77, God has a plan for your life today, this year, next year. Are you in tune with his will? Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thank you for the chance to study your word. We love you so much. And I'm just so uh, thankful for the way that you bless us. Father, I realize that many times it's easy to get caught up in um, prayer requests. And of course, we should make prayer requests. But Father, help us to, to discover this example that Jesus has given us. Help us to slow down. Help us to shut up. And help us to listen and seek, realizing you've got a plan for me you got a plan for us. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Greg said it there towards the end. It's very simple. Are you in tune with God? And so this morning, if you are sitting there and you're saying, no, I'm...